You didn't know it was Easter Sunday today, did you? You know, as a, as a speaker, you want to connect with your audience. That's, that's really one of the goals. Um, when you put in the work to prepare and, and present whatever it is that you're going to say week to week, you, you just hope that something you say connects with people. And uh, so it was a treat last week to hear from so many of you who spoke to me afterwards uh, the feedback you gave sharing uh, with me the meaningful moments in your life uh, based on some things that I said last week. Now, was it the text? No. Was it deep spiritual truths about gospel-shaped living? No. It was all about bologna sandwiches. I mean, everyone wanted to talk about bologna sandwiches. There was so much interest in bologna sandwiches that we either need to start a bologna connection group or a bologna support group. I'm not sure which one, but uh, definitely one of those two going forward. See, we've been on a journey with Jesus. Uh, we've been on a journey with him and his followers, and, and we've seen two moments now before the resurrection where the disciples struggle to understand. They struggle to believe. They struggle to make sense of the message and the mission of Jesus. And so we've looked at two events before the resurrection that are all tied together by theme of bread and boats. They hear Jesus say how he will be arrested and how he will be tried and how he will be crucified and how he will rise again on the third day. But it rings foreign in their ears. Uh, to them, it just sounds like a bunch of baloney. And so today from Luke 24, we're going to go back and we're going to look at Resurrection Sunday again. And just like before, what we're going to see is that the disciples struggle to understand. Just like before, we're going to see that the disciples struggle to believe. They can't quite wrap their minds around it all. So it's the evening now of Resurrection Sunday, and the disciples of Jesus, they all huddle together in a room behind a locked door. They are hiding in fear of those who had Jesus crucified. You see, earlier this morning, some women had gone to the tomb to prepare and care for the body of Jesus, and they found the tomb empty. They rush back to the room where the disciples are gathered, and they say, He has risen just as He said. And after giving this news to the disciples, they follow up this bold statement with a very bold claim. And we have seen the risen Lord. An angel told us to come and tell you this and to tell you to meet him in Galilee. But the text tells us that the disciples considered this. It seemed to them nothing more than an idol. Nevertheless, two of the disciples make their way to the tomb. They run to get there. And one of the disciples goes in and he looks and he sees the evidence of the empty tomb. And he returns home marveling. The followers return and they report to all those gathered in that room. They say, we have seen the empty tomb. But here's what you notice in the text. 
most of the followers stay in the sanctuary of their seclusion. Most of the followers stay in that room behind locked doors. They have not yet taken the step from fear to faith. Now, two of the followers leave Jerusalem that afternoon and they head for the village of Emmaus. Now, we know that this is a journey of about seven miles. It's about a seven-mile distance from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And these two followers are talking between themselves about everything that had happened. We can We can only imagine as to how that conversation is going. Now, in case you're wondering, the average walking speed of an unladen human is three to four miles per hour. So this is about 15 to 20 minute miles. Now, not to be confused, of course, with the average wind speed velocity of a swallow, laden or unladen, African or European. Now, this walk, I mention this just to tell you this, this walk could have taken anywhere from an hour and 45 minutes to two hours and 15 minutes, which is actually an important detail a little bit later in the story. So these two followers are walking and talking and something incredible happens. If you have your Bibles, look at Luke 24 and look at what verse 15 says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now, the two followers, they don't recognize Jesus. I, I kind of picture that Jesus has the Groucho Marx glasses on or something. You know, he's wearing some kind of disguise, right, maybe? And, and they don't recognize who this person is that has, that has come up and is journeying with him. The Bible says that their eyes are kept from recognizing him, which is so curious. That their eyes are kept from recognizing him. Maybe it has everything to do with the fact that they are not expecting to encounter the risen Lord. That is the last person they thought they would see this day. Now, I also want you to notice the emotional place from where they start. You see, Jesus approaches, they don't recognize him. He asks them, what are you talking about? And then look at uh, 24 and verse 17 and, and look at their condition. They say, well, they stood still and the Bible says they were looking sad. So it, they're in this place of, of sadness right now. They're in this place of sadness where Jesus is meeting them and they're, they're sad and And so he engages them in conversation, asking them, well, what are you talking about? What's happened? And they can't believe that this stranger has no idea what has just happened in Jerusalem. In fact, the discussion amongst themselves that we have is like he's the only living person on the face of the earth. Some kind of stranger, some kind of visitor who has no idea what has just happened in Jerusalem. And so... These two followers, they essentially share the Cliff Notes version of everything that had transpired this past week. And here's what I want you to see again. Look at verse 21, and here's where they lay their cards on the table. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Do you see this? 
these two followers of Jesus are, are, are residing, are dwelling in sadness. The first thing they tell Jesus, after sharing everything that had happened, they say, we had hoped that he was the one, but hmm, it's already been three days. Do you know what this is? This is the disciples back in the boat in Mark chapter 6, struggling against the wind. That's exactly what this is. And, and, and if you're familiar at all with the gospel narratives, do you understand, do you realize that this conversation has happened before? Almost a word-for-word -word conversation has happened before just like this. It's in, it's in John 11. In John 11, Jesus receives news that his dear friend Lazarus has died, and uh, Jesus waits to go. And he has another one of those conversations with his disciples that just utterly, I mean, it fries every brain circuit they could possibly have. Jesus tells his disciples that Lazarus has fallen asleep, and that they're going to go to Jerusalem, or they're going to go to Bethany to wake Lazarus up. I'm not making this up. The disciples are like, why do we have to travel all that way just to wake him up? And so Jesus is, is another one of these situations. They don't understand this. Jesus is talking about death. The disciples are talking about sleep. It's right back in the boat with the disciples again in Mark chapter 8. Jesus is talking about yeast, and the disciples are talking about bread. And so I love this moment in the Gospel of John. Right around verse 14 or so, the Bible says that Jesus does something that we all need. He says, the Bible says that Jesus spoke to them plainly. Plainly. And he says, what I'm trying to say is this, Lazarus has died, and I'm actually glad for your sake that we weren't there when it happened, right? I'm glad that I wasn't there, and, and notice this, so that you may believe. Now let's go, let's go. So Jesus takes the disciples and they travel uh, to where Lazarus is. And do you remember, we looked at a few weeks ago at the story of Mary and Martha and how Martha had struggled with priorities and, and what was important and what was not so important. So you fast forward four days now in verse 21, Martha hears that Jesus has come. And wow, one of the greatest statements in the Bible, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's moving from, from what may not be so important to what's so very important. And Jesus says to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. This is Martha. This is why Martha gets such a bad rap by us. But she is one of the most faithful and honest people in all of scriptures. And her response is so good. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus says, I in fact, I want you to read this part with me, starting with I am. We're just going to read that one line. I am the resurrection and the life. This was the scripture that we were meditating on today, that we were thinking through those implications. And I want you to see that what happens next is one of the most powerful moments in all of scripture. Because Martha, in verse, when asked in verse 26, when Jesus says, do you believe this? 
Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Do you recognize those words? Because Peter says the exact same thing when Jesus asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? And then he says, okay, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, one of the wonderful things about faith, and listen, I'm using this word intentionally. One of the wonderful things about faith is that you're not expected to just get it overnight. Faith is a journey. It's a process. From whichever point you start, you can start from despair, you can start from sadness, you can start from, from disbelief, but faith is a journey. And you move through this, you move in this journey, and the more your heart is opened, and the more your eyes are opened, and the more Jesus, through His Spirit, speaks to us plainly and clearly, the more our hearts latch on to what we so desperately need in an age of skepticism. In an age where everything is questionable. Now, Jesus tells Martha, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? You know, so what? really what Martha is saying here, she's saying the exact same thing that was our contemplative reading last week. The father with the child who is um, uh, tormented by an evil spirit when he tells Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. They are all saying the same thing. The father says that, Martha's saying that. The two followers on the road to Emmaus, they're having this exact same conversation. See, when they say we had hoped, what they're saying is we are disappointed in this outcome. This is not what we wanted. This is not what we expected. This is, we put all of our hopes in this, and it hasn't come to pass. We hoped, but we're disappointed because it hasn't happened. And then they say in verse 21, and after all, it's been three days. It's been three days. This is John 11 again. Because when Jesus gets there to raise Lazarus, and Jesus says, okay, get, move the stone, roll away the stone. You know what he's told? Lord. <laughs> Or my been Lord, I don't think that's a good idea. He's been dead four days, which means it stinks. It stinks. And so back in John 11, the disciples, the followers, Mary, Martha, all of them together, they're all witnessing this. Lord, it's impossible. He's been dead four days. The two on the road to Emmaus, as they're walking and talking, as they're explaining this to Jesus, they're saying, boy, we had hoped, but now it's been three days and nothing has happened. Now look at verse 27. Verse 27 of Luke 24 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, now Jesus starts this by saying, Oh, foolish ones. Oh, foolish ones. Why are your hearts so slow to believe? 
And beginning in that moment, he interprets himself from Moses and the prophets, everything that's written in the scriptures about him. Now, one of my favorite singer, musicians, theologians, writers is Michael Card. And Michael Card has a wonderful, very accessible commentary series on the Gospels. And it's, it's, I, I love Michael Card uh, for a lot of reasons. I love his honesty. I love his take on things. And you, you know, at least for me, you're reading the right commentary when the writer, Michael Card, looks at verse 27 and says, I am so mad at Luke right now. He says, I am so mad at Luke right now. Why? Because we have the greatest Bible lesson of all time and we're not given a single word. All Luke says is that beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted everything in the scriptures concerning himself. So, uh, that's, that's a lesson uh, that I would have liked to have heard. And I also think that it's a lesson that we need to hear now more than anything else. You see, as gospel-shaped people, we need to learn to see what the scripture, what every part of the scripture, what they're trying to teach us, how they're pointing us to Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed this throughout your life, but the pendulum swings from one side to the other. I mean, from one side to the other, the pendulum swings. And, 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 and sometimes the pendulum swings towards, well, you know, nothing really matters. And then, and then the pendulum swings toward, well, every single little detail matters. And so what's happened is that the pendulum of religion has moved to us to a point where we are anchored in what's called performance morality. Performance morality. In other words, that, that my life and my righteousness and my salvation depends entirely for a religious person on what I do, on my performance. And so a religious person that is influenced by this mindset is going to go to the Bible, is going to go to the Scripture for rules and lists for do's and don'ts, thinking that their performance, that their security, that their salvation all hinges on their ability to extract those rules, those do's, those don'ts. And so it's about their performance. But the irreligious person comes to the Bible today and says, none of it matters. None of it matters. You can do what you want, when you want. This is an outdated uh, book that has no bearing anymore on us today. You see, the irreligious person, while the religious person is saying, you can save yourself by your own effort, the irreligious person is saying, you can save yourself by just not believing in this. Just discard it altogether. And, and this is why, as gospel-shaped people, we are trying to see that these scriptures, these words of God... We're trying to see the majesty in them. We're trying to see the wonder in them. We're trying to allow our hearts to be captured by the beauty of these words because every single thing, Jesus himself says this in John chapter 5 saying, look, you can search the scriptures all you want to, but unless you're searching the scriptures to find me, you're never going to have everlasting life. You're never going to have everlasting life. So, this is something we need. I feel so strongly right now that we have reached an age in our culture where there, there's, just, there's nothing that's held sacred. There's, there's nothing that's held dear. There's, there's nothing that can help us as people 
move from journeys of hopelessness to journeys of hope. There's nothing in this world right now that helps us navigate the sadness and the confusion and the anxiety. And the more we chip away, the more we chip away, the less there is for us to hold on to. You need to know that there is someone and something you can count on. You need to know every single week that Jesus is enough. That he's enough. That you don't need anything else but Jesus. He's the one that we believe in. He's the one that we anchor our hope to. He's the one that we place the full weight of our life. He's the one that we trust. So yes, I can see why Michael Card might be a little upset that we don't have it in greater detail. How about another book, Luke? Talking about how Jesus begins in this moment from the Moses to the prophets. Explaining everything that the Bible has to say, pointing us to Jesus. Have you ever thought how long that Bible lesson would take? About seven miles of walking. About seven miles of walking. Because that's when Jesus meets them and that's when Jesus talks to them. And the Bible says they get to the village of Emmaus and it's getting late and the disciples encourage him to stay because the, the night is coming on and he agrees and they sit down at a table together. And Jesus takes the bread and he blesses the bread and he breaks the bread and he gives the bread to the two followers. And in this moment of table fellowship, the best thing could happen happens. And verse 31 says, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. I love this moment. I love what's happening. Did you know that table fellowship becomes an important practice amongst the followers of Jesus? Not, not just communion, but actual table fellowship, eating and sharing bread together. I think it is so great that it is, is in this moment of fellowship where Jesus reveals himself to the followers. I also think it's important now for us as a church to begin to refocus in this area. Because it is in our table fellowship that we are going to be bound together in unity. It is in our table fellowship that not only are we going to recognize Jesus, but we're going to see Jesus in each other. We, we want to be a church right now that helps people find us, that gets people connected, and gives people purpose. And it's possible for that to happen in this gathering. It's possible. But it's more than likely that that's going to happen in the second hour, and on Monday, and on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's more possible than that. So, so yes, I'm excited that we're getting back together and more people are coming, but let's don't make this hour the point of our community together. Let's do a good job. Let's make it the best we can, but let's don't make this the focus. Let's don't put all of our eggs in this basket. Let's be determined about journeying with each other and being in relationship with each other People right now, they don't need any more content. They need community. They need community. And that's what we can provide. So I love what happens next. They recognize Jesus. Jesus vanishes. And you know what they do? This is why I told you the distance was important. They walk back to Jerusalem. 
they walk back to Jerusalem. Now, this is probably when Olympic speed walking is invented, right? Because, I mean, they make it all the way back to Jerusalem. They find where the disciples are, and they say, we have seen the risen Lord. And we recognized him in the breaking of the bread. You know, the walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus is a walk about hope crushed. And yet the walk from Emmaus back to Jerusalem is about walk, about hope fulfilled. Have you thought about which leg of the journey you're on right now? Have you thought about which part of your journey is it about hope crushed or hope realized? And have you thought about how you're going to move from one to the other? You're going to have to choose something, someone to place your trust in. You're going to have to. You have to choose something. More than likely, I would say to you, if you don't choose Jesus, your walk will always be about hope disappointed. It's the only way that you're going to survive the wind by choosing him. It's the only way to move from hope crushed to hope strengthened. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon who says, faith goes up the stairs which love built and looks out the window which hope has opened. Isn't that great? Faith goes up the stairs that love has built and looks out the window that hope has opened. This is the journey. This is the reason for the 21 days with Jesus. I want us to immerse ourselves to see what these stories are telling us about him, how we can marvel and worship, how we can be lost in who he is and what these stories are trying to teach us about him. Because after all, we're the foolish ones. We are. We struggle to recognize Jesus. We struggle to trust him. And what we need is something that only he can do. We need Jesus to draw near. We need Jesus to open our eyes. We need Jesus to speak plainly to us. We, we often struggle living post-resurrection lives as if the resurrection never happened. And so we need Jesus to meet us in our journey. We need the Holy Spirit to do this in our hearts. We need to have our hearts tied again to the power of Jesus, what he does, what he does. What he says is important. But what he does saves us. Because our salvation is based on the life that Jesus lived and the death that he died. This is how Jesus meets us today in our journey. Jesus meets us by saying, am I going to be enough? Let's pray. Father, would you draw near to us as we try to draw near to you. Would you open our eyes to see? Would you open our ears to hear? Would you open our hearts to understand? Father, as we, would you speak plainly to us through your word? Would you show us every time we read how this points to you? But more than that, Father, would you set our hearts ablaze with hope as we encounter the risen Lord? Through Jesus, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit, our teacher, we pray.
Amen.